This is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. My guest this week is one of those people of whom we've had on this program so many times. Someone who does so many things. It's, it's amazing to me. Where do these people get the energy, the time, the inclination to do all of these things? I was going to describe this fellow as simply an artist, author, and musician, as if that's not enough. But let me read to you a quote from his Wikipedia page. By the way, having a Wikipedia page means you're a real human being and you're somebody. <laughs> quote, an American folk artist, a public art instigator, a cartoonist, a performer, a musician, and a composer. This is... Sam Bartlett. Sam, welcome to Big Talk. Hi, how are you doing? I'm well. I'm glad you're here. I saw you pedal in on your bicycle. <laughs> you're in good shape. I wish I was. <laughs> Sam has a big show opening up tomorrow, Friday, August 5th, at the Brick Room. That's at 107 North College Avenue. As we said, he's an artist. He's also the fellow, if you've got kids or if you're a kid yourself, you know about stuntology. He is the stuntology guy. <laughs> what does it mean you're a public art instigator? Well, I don't know. It means that I've, uh, I've gone a lot of places and started up a lot of people making art kind of uh, either randomly or planned. I've done a lot of arts residencies around the country and I've created a lot of art with other people as well as just by myself. Yeah, you were an artist in residence in Juneau, Alaska, for goodness sake. Yeah. Uh, my, you grew up in one end of the country. You have made art in the other end of the country. You've been all over the place. Yeah, it was funny that I ended up in Juneau. Uh, what happened was I was a guest of the city uh, of the City Arts Council, I guess, because on the Arts Council, they had uh, a college student at the University of Alaska, and she requested that I be an artist in residence because she'd read my book, uh, The Best of Stuntology. Yeah. And so she, they decided to give her some weight, and I came, and I think they didn't quite to know, know even what to do with me when I got there. <laughs> when they started looking at the book, they were sort of scratching their heads and wondering how I'd landed there. But then I ended up having a great residency and did shows all over the place. And I honestly don't even know where to start with the thing, so let's start with stuntology. What is stuntology? So stuntology is... Basically, it's like almost like uh, the study of parlor tricks uh -huh. and the dumb little tricks that people do when they're just sort of amusing themselves with their friends. And you might say it was a nothing, but it, but I s started documenting sort of some of the, the dumb tricks that people would do hanging out with each other. And I started making them into cartoons uh, in the early 90s. And then I published a zine sort of about the stunts that people did. And I mean, everything from, you know, I mean, things that you know how to do, like wiggling a pencil to make it look like it's made of rubber. <laughs> I mean, stuff like that. But I mean, branching out and 
I was mostly interested in the more obscure things that people would do that I thought were stunt-worthy. There, there were a bunch of books written in the 1920s and 1930s about sort of tricks for the whole family, things you can do to amuse yourselves, you know, clean and simple ways to amuse yourselves. They were often funny games, ridiculous maneuvers. And so I kind of got, got obsessed with these things that people just did at home with using just everyday objects. And so I started documenting it. And all this was, of course, before the internet existed or before it was widely spread. And I I made about, I documented about a thousand cartoons, huh. um, and a thousand stunts doing cartoons and published four books uh, about stuntology. Uh, just my own personal obsession. And they're still available at your good bookstores <laughs> or available you online. The, the book, I'm actually working on another stuntology book now. And of course, I'll, I'll, I'll work on one until the day I die. Now, this has nothing to do with the exhibit that starts tomorrow. What are you going to be showing at the Brick Room tomorrow? Well, it's interesting. In a way, it has nothing to do with the Brick Room, and in a way, it has everything to do with the Brick Room. Because for me, when I started documenting stunts and making cartoons about stunts, I was sort of turning nothingness into something because nobody thought any of these maneuvers had any value. I mean, now with TikTok and everything, you know, it's all about stuntology, not not my stuntology, but other people's stunts. People document the heck out of it. It's everywhere. And, you know, the, it, it is newsworthy. But I thought the dumb little things that people did creating something out of nothing was kind of amazing, and and it was an obsession of mine. In the early 90s, late 80s, I visited the artist Howard Finster in oh. Georgia, and I and I realized that he was kind of, and that, that fed into my stuntology way of thinking, in that Howard Finster took a Sharpie marker and paint and pieces of, of plywood, a lot of luon, and he just made art kind of obsessively, and he and he wasn't like a good artist particularly. He was very primitive and self-taught. And I mean, I I think of him as a great artist, but I mean, he had no technical skills to speak right. of. But he sort of created great beauty out of nothingness. Huh. And 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 would and uh, numbered all of his artwork, which I thought was really cool. And was just kind of living his life and wanting to be present and having a good time and. And obsessively creating art. Now, I was really inspired by that. And not long after that, I started pulling uh, plywood out of dumpsters and getting out my jigsaw and drawing on the plywood and cutting out the figures and painting them. And so I started doing stuff along those lines, too. All of it was unnumbered for years. But I made artwork for people using found wood, my jigsaw, and, uh, you know, painting it and, and personalizing it. I would draw portraits of people. I would draw things for people's weddings. I would draw uh, pictures of famous old-time musicians. I'm an old-time musician and an Irish musician. so I, I Meaning old-time music. Old-time music, yeah, yeah old-time. Yeah. So I've seen some of your pieces, and by the way, you have created more than 600 pieces, and you don't plan. You don't set out a model for, here's what I'm going to make, like a maquette or anything that's like that. That's a metaphor for my life, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, yes, well, that's 600 numbered pieces. I made many ah. more pieces before then. I just started numbering them. I remember uh, my wife said, you know, you should actually number these, uh, not for you, but for your children. Uh -oh. <laughs> just to let them know that something happened here. Um, I thought that was hilarious. I've seen a piece, and there's cut out. There's whiteness, there's black outline. It reminds me of Jean Dubuffet. 
I don't even know who that is. No kidding. <laughs> You're not a trained artist, in other words. I am not. Well, Jean Dubuffet has these three-dimensional artworks that are in a lot of cities, and it's white with black outlines, but it's really neat stuff. You're going to have works like that on display tomorrow. Oh, yeah, that sounds cool. I need to check him out. I don't know that work, but I I love black and white. I turned to black and white a couple of years ago, and I just realized it helped me think more clearly huh. uh, when I made things out of black and white. And also, it was sort of resembling my cartoon style. So I almost think of the, the things that I cut out of plywood as like plywood cartoons uh-huh. in a way. And I, and I like how they just really stand out in the world. They sort of hit you right in the face. And, and, and I, yeah, and I wanted to make it, I don't know, I just wanted to have a consistent style. I saw this one piece where there's a guy doing some activity and there's a critter of some sort with a huge mouth coming <laughs> down over his head like and that's you've done some of that kind of theming where there's a biting and eating yeah well i think that during at the beginning of the pandemic i started I, I lost my livelihood at the beginning of the pandemic. All the performing I was doing, all the traveling, I was getting ready to travel into Europe. I was getting ready to travel wow. to uh, all over the place, all to California a couple of times. I had all these great gigs lined up all, all over the country and, and then some in, in Scotland and in uh, England. And uh, I lost, you know, a year of work, you know, and yeah. boom, 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 right in front of my eyes. And so I, I really had to pivot rapidly because everything that I did involved the public. And so I had always been making art, but sort of as a private thing. And I I started cranking out art in earnest, sort of just to make myself happy and then putting it on social media because I just wanted to feel like I still existed. And um, and it was... That is the the definitive statement of an artist. I had to make this art to prove that I still exist. That's beautiful. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Well, and, and it really, it did have something to do with that. And so I started just making stuff. And I started also with the pandemic. I had a bunch of close friends die in rapid succession. And I think every time I made art, it felt like uh, I was just completely thinking about the inevitability of death. And it was just, it weighed down on me. Of course, I, everybody knows this, this is inevitable. But I think in every piece of art, I w- almost every piece I was making, it was sort of a meditation on death, too. Wow. And that was a, a, more, a private uh, yeah. thought I had. And so I think being consumed by something was the inevitable consumption by, you know, by your your by your death and, and mortality fit into almost every piece I was making. And whether I would state it or not, that was pretty much what I was thinking every time I made a piece. Huh. And I think the, the metaphor of being something being eaten by something else it has to do with death more than anything else. It, it seems as though it has to do with all life on earth. Every, every critter eats every other critter, depending on size and, and talons and all the rest of that kind of thing. That's so true. I, yeah. We have two cats at home and they caught a mouse the other day and I was watching them play with it. We took the mouse and threw it outside, but I realized they've never had more fun. They don't get enough mice and this is the <laughs> meaning of life for them is to attack a mouse and to try to kill it. You know, Sam Bartlett, I read once where uh, researchers have been looking into chimpanzee groups, and they found that chimpanzees, the young ones, sort of like the teenage punks of the chimpanzees, like to get together in packs, go to the other gang of chimpanzees, and kill one. It's like it's in us. 
It's in our DNA, perhaps. It's true. Our DNA is so similar to a chimp, it's frightening. I don't even want to think about the ramifications of that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you made allusion to making music. You are known as a musician. As you said, old-time music. And... Contra dance music and, and contra dance and music. Irish traditional music. All three of those things are the, are the ones, are the categories that I play. I'm known in you know these funny little small circles. I've traveled in for more than thirty years and have traveled the country many, 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 many times. Played at every contra dance in the country. Contra dance is a social dance like square dancing. And, and we have that here and, in and Bloomington. It's in Bloomington, yeah, and it's all over the country. It's in every state, and I and I've literally I've played everywhere except for North Dakota. I've never done a gig there. <laughs> <laughs> you started out with a group called the Green Mountain Volunteers back in 1984. Yeah, that was in Vermont. There was a they were, that was the first group that hired me regularly to play at a contra dance, and I I was a dancer and a clogger in that group, and, oh. and traveled all around New England with them, and then a Eventually, we went on an epic journey to Western Europe and then Eastern Europe when still the countries were Iron Curtain countries. We went to yeah. uh, Czechoslovakia, which was then Czechoslovakia. Right. We went to Hungary. We went to what was called Yugoslavia. Yeah. We went uh, all over there to Bosnia, to Macedonia, to uh, Serbia. We performed all over Kingdom Come and, uh, and did, I don't know, countless shows in front of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And, uh, and that was a big thing. And I actually did that. I performed... Uh, regularly with an, a WFHB uh, announcer, Jamie Gans. Huh. Uh, so Jamie was a fiddler in that group, and that was when I became friends with Jamie. Yeah. Wow. A small world, yeah. indeed. You were born in Burlington, Vermont, and this this I love. What a kid you must have been. Uh, you got from the Daughters of the American Revolution <laughs> the Good Citizenship Award when you were in eighth grade. But this is the beauty of that. You also were voted class clown. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good summary of uh, how I think. That's your life. (laughs) Burlington, Vermont. I believe the biggest town is Burlington in Vermont, Absolutely. and it's not even 50,000 people, I think. Am I right? You nailed it. I think, it's, I think that's about right. Tiny. Now here you are in the big cosmopolitan Bloomington, Indiana, but you've done so much. Hey, as a matter of fact, for the listeners out there, this is Sam Bartlett, the artist, author, musician, and everything else, including public art instigator. If you want to see a piece by Sam, go down to the Trades and Building Park that's across from where used to be Bloomington Hospital. He's got a big 240-foot-wide mural painted on the wall over there. Yeah, actually, the entire thing is 750 feet long. Wow. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, there's there's a 240-foot facade next to the basketball court, and then there's an additional, the entire interior of the basketball court, and then walls oh. in front of the hospital, and it goes all over the place. And yeah, that was a beautiful project that happened with uh, Sean Starowitz, uh, who used to work for yes. Arts in the City, and he made that happen. And, uh, and also, actually, I should say, people in my neighborhood also made it happen. Uh, Cynthia Bretheim uh, made it happen. Did you have to get down on your hands and knees? Because it's not a terribly high wall. Oh, yeah. I I spent the entire time down on my hands and knees. Did you have (laughs) knee pads, I hope? I I didn't. They drove the backs of my knees crazy. I was just, you know, I just put down a piece of cardboard. Ah, okay. (laughs) Well, 
Uh, you've also done something called Cranky Shows. Yeah. What are they? So a Cranky Show is it's a story that is on, written, uh, that are drawn on a piece of paper, like a piece of butcher paper, a roll of paper, and then it's put inside a box and scrolled in front of an audience. So you're telling a story with a moving piece of paper. It's literally like a primitive kind of paper television. And uh, so I learned about cranky shows from a couple of different sources, but mostly from attending Bread and Puppet Theater as a kid in Vermont. There was this thing called Bread and Puppet Theater, which is this kind of crazy, whacked out performances that would happen in the Northeast Kingdom uh, of with giant puppets and paper mache puppets and tons of just crazy art made of cardboard and and, the, and Peter Schumann, the founder of Bread and Puppet Theater, would make uh, bread in a giant clay oven and give it away to people, like their sacrament. And and I so I started going to that when I was in high school, and that just totally altered my DNA. I mean, I think that really influenced all my making of art and just the idea of art being, uh, you know, necessary, but kind of, it didn't matter if it was permanent or not. It was just a way of existing to make art. And Peter Schumann is, is from Silesia, which is in Germany, or actually maybe used to be in Poland. And he's or a, both, because yeah. in that neck of the woods, everything went from one side to the other exactly. again and again. It's fluid. And he was a refugee when he was 11 years old, and he eventually ended up in New York City and founded Brendan Puppet Theater with his wife, Elke Schumann. At one certain point, when you were being a musician, early on, we're talking back nearly 40 years ago, about 1984, we talked about the Green Mountain Volunteers, you supplemented your income by making apple cider. Yeah, I was a cider maker for about three years. I I worked at the Chittenden Cider Mill, um, out, which was about three miles from my house, huh. and I I made cider. I drove around produce and and that the cider mill somehow got a hold of. I was very shady, truthfully, <laughs> and I, it seemed to be produce that they got for free and then sold. I don't know how Uh-oh. it worked exactly. And then I also drove a truck for them. I drove a number of different size trucks, including a six-wheeled, a, a big a big truck that I, I, I got loads of apples from neighboring orchards and from orchards in New York State. And, and then I just brought cider to all the little mom-and-pop stores all around Vermont, and uh, that was something I did. Yeah. Did you get tired of drinking cider? Uh, you know, I never did. I, the cider in Vermont is so good. It's really, really, uh, it's it's shrill. It's got this uh, intensity. It's not as sweet as it is here. You know? uh-huh. So I just, it's a delicious flavor. I never really got sick of it. Yeah. It's got that, uh, that tangy kick, huh? It's tangy, yeah. That was a big part of my life, and I'm actually I'm drawing uh, and making a uh, memoir about working in the cider business that for that that three year period I've been working. That was one of my tam- pandemic projects, making a cartoon memoir of working in cider, the cider biz. Yeah, you are driven. <laughs> well, you got to do something. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of people don't do anything. They just sit back and take a nap. I, I'm a I'm a champion nap taker. <laughs> well. That's good. That's good for you. Is 24 hours a day enough for you? (laughs) Well, I like to have a project that I'm working on. Absolutely. And, you know, when you do uh, such marginal stuff as I do, you know, playing traditional music and doing cartooning and, and, you know, making artwork out of uh, cardboard or, or, you know, plywood, you know, you got to do a lot of things in order to to make you know to have a full meal. You know, so you you can't just do one thing. There's two. The things are way too obscure. Well, a lot of people would 
say, oh, I can't, I can't do all that stuff. I'll go, I drove a truck. I'll go back to driving a truck or I'll go make cider for somebody else. I'll have a regular, normal nine to five job. You haven't. I have not. I don't know. I'm resistant for, you know, for whatever reason. I think I've done it so long. I'm 60 years old. And the idea of uh, going back to a regular job is just that seems like I don't want to do that. So I'm willing to go the distance on all these obscure passions in order not to do that. The things you've done, you're, you're almost minimizing these things. You're saying they're small things. But you have got some some people talking about you around. You've been praised by Atul Gawande, the, <laughs> the medical writer, and Ira Glass, and Will Shorts. They, they talk about your stuntology books. And how about this? Your music, banjo, I assume, yeah, and has, has been featured in a couple of Ken Burns documentaries, Prohibition, and the Dust Bowl. Yeah. How did you score that? Well, you know, I did not make that happen at all. I was fortunate enough to be in a band with this amazing composer named Larry Unger, uh-huh. uh, a guitar player uh, and banjo player. And I've been in a band with him off and on for about 30 years. And Larry is very ambitious and has written 4,000 uh, tunes, compositions. What? He's an amazing Composer. He's the Irving Berlin of traditional uh, music. Wow. Yeah, he's unbelievable. He put out a lot of recordings of his original music, and I played on a bunch of them because uh-huh. I had a regular playing relationship with him when I lived in Boston, and then we kept that going. And Larry just was, you know, he heard that Jay Unger, which no relation to Larry Unger, had, but Jay Unger had, you know, a Shokin farewell in one of Ken Burns' documentaries, the one about the Civil War, and Larry started sending Ken Burns music. Ken Burns loved his music and used yeah. it. And actually, I was in two of the Ken Burns documentaries, but Larry, I think, is featured in four of them. So I wrote on his coattails. But hey, you know. You still did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, going from the nationally known or internationally known down to the local, mm-hmm. which features international talent, we're talking about the Lotus World Music Festival in 2018. You created giant paper mache masks. Oh, yes. How were they used? Well, they were in the parade. I, I did a workshop. Uh, we did a really nice workshop at the Mathers Museum, uh-huh. and we uh, we built some really. We, we did a bunch of different stages. I I took my paper mache knowledge that I'd gotten from Bread and Puppet Theater from talking to Peter Schumann mostly, and we made some really big paper mache heads. You know, we made an armature out of cardboard, or yeah. I don't even know how we did it, but we made some hu- humongous uh, paper mache faces, and then people just brought them to the parade and carried them, and you know, it's part of the spectacle, or, or attached them to bamboo, and so they could be really high in the air. And uh, and it's funny, I was just recounting to somebody how at an early Lotus parade, I made a, a, a like the seven-foot hollow rhinoceros uh, that someone could carry. And what I did was I went to Harmony School where my son Wade had gone, and they have a, have a uh, limestone rhinoceros outside the school. Uh. And I used that as an armature. I covered it with you know paper and had it dry, put a bunch of layers, and then I cut cut it off, uh-huh. and then I sewed it back together, basically. And so I had this giant hollow rhinoceros that you could carry with one hand. <laughs> it, it, was, it was hilarious. And then somebody took it home, and it disappeared. But Have you ever heard of this? I made a dragon's head out of papier-mâché one New Year's Eve, 
And it was based on an old Chinese tradition where you make a, a, a paper mache dragon with a slot in it, and everybody writes out something that they want to leave behind, mm. like, you know, a breakup or some misfortune that happened in the previous year. You you put it in the slot, you fill up the whatever the critter is, and then, as I say, in this case, it was a dragon's head, and then you set it on fire. Oh, have you I ever heard that? that? Yeah, I have heard of that, and I love that idea completely. I had a breakup that year, <laughs> and I... And I was doing everything I could to get past it, and that's one of the things I did. And uh, I hope it worked. Well, I don't. I, I'm not crying into my pillow anymore <laughs> over the breakup. Anytime you make art and set it on fire, in my book, it's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't give people ideas now, for goodness sake. Speaking of your art, it will be again at the Brick Room, which is 107 North College Avenue. The opening is tomorrow, August 5th, Friday, from 5 to 9 p.m. How long is the exhibit going to run? Uh, you, we can make appointments to go see it. It'll, it'll be there for a little while, So, but, but by appointment, yeah. And people will be able to buy your work. Yes, they will. I... I have two big shows coming up, one uh -huh. in, at St. Michael's College in Vermont and uh -huh. another one at Old Dominion University in Virginia. Yes. And so I need to... I need to have enough pieces for those shows. I have to fill a 3,000-square-foot uh, 3, uh, gallery space in old, at Old Dominion, so I'm a little worried about that, although the curator told me I could paint on the walls if I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm going to be doing two shows there, too. So I, I'm not all the pieces that, that this will be for sale because I need to keep some of them, but there'll right. be stuff for sale, and there'll be other stuff for sale. Now, and, when you have these shows, do you make all new stuff, or do you go back in the collection and say, hey, I want to put this one up. Uh, doing shows is not something I normally do. Yeah. I, I know, I've never actually done a, a show like this before. Wow. And I, I know I went immediately to uh, doing shows at these universities. And I haven't, I've done, what I've done is I've gone into a community, created tons of, of artwork, and had a show with a community. You know, I've done it, you know, I've done that in Ohio, I've done that in, in Alaska, I've done that in Vermont, I've done that in a lot of different places where I've done a show with people, but I've never done a show where it's entirely my work. And so this is a first, you know, I've, ne I've never done this. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. So if you want to see some of Sam Bartlett's stuff, go on over to sambartlett.com, and uh, he also has a little tab in there for stuntology, which is a, such a cool thing. Uh, working in a bookstore, I do know that people were crazy for stuntology. And uh, yeah, you've done a lot of things, you you public art instigator, you. <laughs> <laughs> Folk artist as well. Cartoonist, performer, musician, composer, contra dancing, banjo. What other mu uh, instrument? I well, I played the mandolin and the, the guitar. Man yeah. Well, that's that's got to be difficult because there's about a million strings on a mandolin. <laughs> is that well, eight specifically? Eight. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right, I'll take that. In any case, get on over to the Brick Room uh, tomorrow for the opening, uh, August 5th, Friday, 5 to 9 p.m. That's at 107 North College Avenue. Go over to sambartlett.com. Sam Bartlett is everything in the world when it comes to creativity. Sam, thanks so much for joining us on Big Talk. Thank you so much for having me. I really, I've had a great time talking with you. 